Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Jonathan here, guys. It's it's the eve before the Sixers play the Celtics, and of course, we're going to spend the majority of the podcast talking about that. Yeah, I mean, big game, game one tomorrow. So why don't we just dive straight into it? There's obviously concern with Joel's health. Uh, it was kind of like a dead zone for I don't know, like five, seven, eight days. Um, but Doc Rivers was asked yesterday at practice, said if he was a betting man, that it would be doubtful that Joe would play. So, I mean, Chris, with that being said, who needs to step up? Do you think this could be a Paul Reed kind of situation? And, and what kind of chance do you think the Sixers have here? Um, You know, obviously, I mean, Paul Reed's the, the first name that comes up as far as who, who needs to step up if Joel can't play. I would imagine he gets the start again like he did in Game 4 against Brooklyn. Paul was quite effective in the Brooklyn series. Um, will he be as effective against Boston? I don't know. The competition level goes up significantly. I, I have a lot of faith in Paul. I think he's a very good player, so my general... You know, expectation would be that he would play well, but he's just obviously not anywhere close to Joel's level in terms of impact, especially on the offensive end. You're just losing a lot when you lose the best scorer in the NBA. So um, it's a tough spot for Philly to be in. It kind of stinks that we're in this exact spot going into the second round like every year. (laughs) I, I mean, Joel just continues to have maybe the worst possible injury luck of any major superstar at this stage of the season. Um, oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go there, there is Kawhi Leonard. So Joel's not got, the lead. Kawhi has won two finals already. He's been healthy for multiple playoff runs. I, but, so but, I, but I, I mean, currently, though, currently. I mean, in the past, yes. But currently, I, I think it goes to Kawhi. I mean, collectively, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Currently, like this year, I guess. I mean, they're both hurt at this. They both hurt their knee in the first round. But anyways, I, I don't know. You know, there's no point in like trying to compare injury luck. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty concerning. And the Celtics are a very good team. They're maybe not the unbeatable juggernaut that we thought they were two months into the season. But they're very good. They have been a bad matchup for Philly in the past. They have the kind of personnel that can give the Sixers a lot of problems. And those problems increase tenfold when Joel's not playing. So I have a lot of faith in Paul Reed. I, I think he can step up and be good for 20 to 30 minutes a night in a playoff game if necessary. But the Sixers as a whole are going to really miss Joel uh, regardless of how well Paul plays, honestly. I mean, yeah, we'll, we, we'll talk a little bit more about Paul and the matchups here, but, like, I, I want to 
yeah, Paul Reed is going to be the the fifth starter now. But I, I think offensively, it's going to go down to James and Tyrese. I mean, look, and, and Tobias to an extent. Like, Tobias's scoring numbers have been really good this postseason, <clears throat> Chris. And, um, you know, just uh, on top of that, like, Tyrese and James need to be more consistent than they were in the first round. Like, they definitely had their slumps in the first round. So I, I think in terms of who needs to step up, especially in terms of scoring, James is going to have to – you know, try to get to close to Houston James. Tyrese is going to have to kick it to a next level. And Tobias is going to have to do well. And honestly, these are not good matchups for these guys. And we'll talk about the matchups more later. But yeah, I I, I think in terms of people that need to step up, like to, to uh, James and Tyrese need to score at least 25 per game each moving forward in the series. And they've been in the low 20s. They're going to have to be 25 to 30 each, I think, in order for the Sixers to have a shot here. Yeah, I mean, outside of Paul Reed, Chris, you think Trez, Deadman, Tucker, any of them can can help support out at the five? I, I mean, I, I think if Joel's not playing, you have to roll with Paul and PJ exclusively as your centers. I don't think Montrez or Deadman can cut it against the Celtics. Like, I, you know, it gets dicey when you're missing your 40-minute-a-night all-star caliber center, but... You you cannot be playing those guys in the playoffs, especially in a matchup of this magnitude against such a good team with so many weapons on the offensive side of the ball. So it needs to be Paul for 25, 30 minutes a night and PJ for the other 15 to 20. Like that, that's just how it's going to have to be. The Sixers have had somewhat mixed results with PJ at center this year. The defense isn't always great. They obviously lack room protection in a pretty major way. In theory, you want P.J. guarding Tatum and Brown whenever he's out on the court, so that that complicates things even more as far as who guards who in those lineups, but you you, you just can't play Montrose Harrell against the Celtics. If, if the Sixers do that, um, you're pretty much handing the game to Boston, or at least you're handing those 10 minutes of the game to Boston, and that's, you know, that's not going to make, that's going to make life even harder than it already is, so... It's going to have to be the PJ and Paul show at center, which is not ideal, obviously, but it's it's better than the alternatives for Philly. And I, I hope, I, I pray that Doc Rivers has the foresight to understand that. I mean, yeah, I agree with you on the Montrez point. I, I, I don't think we need to see him defensively. He's just too much of a liability. I do think we're going to see a lot of Tucker at center. Um, you know, they, I, I forget, I think it was either uh, Keith or Noah, uh, Keith Pompey or Noah Levick, who uh, tweeted about how uh, somebody from the Sixers said that they ran a lot of small uh, this past week. Um, I will say this. I wouldn't completely rule out Deadman, depending on who they have, you know, playing center. Obviously, he can't play against Williams. But Al Horford, I don't think that's like a... That's not Al Horford is not going to kill you if you throw Deadman out there. And honestly, he's the no. biggest body. Yeah, no, no. yeah, no, it's he's the, not going to. You can't nah. beat Vince Horford because he's going to space the floor, and then you have Deadman trying to guard in space, and then you're cooked. At least with Rob Will, you can just stick him in the paint, but even then, it, it's not ideal. So I, I, uh, I, I, I would I, not trust Dwayne Deadman in this setting. He, he's to put it gently, he's cooked. So I, I really don't, you know. He, Old centers who can't really move on defense are not a good recipe at this point in the season. We've seen this many, many times with the Sixers in the past. 
Fair enough. Any examples of that not going well? I don't think Deadman is very different than any of those guys. You know, the Dwight Howards, the Amir Johnsons, the Greg Monroes of the world. So I, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Greg Monroe getting a shout out on the podcast. Well, not not a good shout out, but yeah. a, a reference. Wow, that I was not expecting that tonight. Um, no. Fair enough. You, you make right. a valid point. Well, Chris, if you're looking at one key matchup, what's your favorite matchup that you think might have a big like sway in this series? Um, I, I mean, you know, moving past the obvious, like, Embiid-Horford thing, if Embiid does eventually return, I, I think an interesting one to spotlight, at least, is is Tyrese Maxey and Derek White. I assume Marcus Smart Dang is Dang it, you took mine. You took, you took yeah, mine. I'm sorry. I, I assume Smart is going to get the Harden assignment, at least the primary, like, Harden duties, as he should. Uh, but Derek White has been one of the best defense players in the NBA this year. The Sixers obviously need quite a lot out of Maxi, even if Joel does play. Like with the way Boston's defense is set up, if Joel does play, they're going to throw two, three bodies at him all the time. They're going to need Maxi to really feast on those touches that he gets off of Joel post-ups, attacking, rotating defenders, etc. If Derek White just puts Maxi in the hurt locker the whole time and he doesn't have a good series, then Philly is is kind of cooked. Like I, I, I think Maxi's really going to be like the primary X factor, at least individually for Philly this series. I, You know, they need a great James performance, which I'm not terribly confident in at this point, but they, they need, obviously, a great James Harden performance if Joel doesn't play. But right next to that is the fact that Maxie's going to have to really carry his load for, uh, for Philly to have a chance. He's going to be really important on the offensive end. And Derek White is, is a very tricky guy to score against, so... That that's one that I think we should all be keeping an eye on. Well, yeah, you I you stole my initial one, so I'm gonna have to go with my backup plan here. And I'm actually gonna say this: I am interested to see who how well Tobias is gonna do against Jason Tatum. I mean, look, Tobias, we're definitely gonna need a scoring more now with Joel doubtful for Game One. I, I think that if Tobias can get it going and Tatum. Because Tatum's not going to. Tr- I mean, look, if if Tatum has to exert himself defensively to try to slow down Tobias, that's good for the Sixers, obviously, because it slows him down offensively too, to an extent. Um, so I think Tobias is going to be the. You know, if Tobias can really get it going like he did against the Nets, you know, averaging twenty to maybe twenty-two points, that would be really good for the Sixers. Going back to the Maxi point, though, I, I. I can't remember where I read it, but in recent matchups with the Celtics, I think it was like the last six matchups that Maxi's had against the Celtics as a starter. He's only broken double digits twice. Yeah, last one seven of, times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, I, I think that you're right. He, I mean, we'll get into uh, X factors here in a little bit, but I mean, Maxi getting, uh, having a good game against the Celtics is, is key for the Sixers' success. Yeah, Maxi needs to step up. Like, that's kind of the bottom line of that stat. I mean, I, I found it extremely interesting as well, Lucas. So, especially with them beat out, we need him to step up. But let's uh, close out this segment with some X factors on Celtics 76ers, maybe one on each team. Chris, you can go first. Yeah, I mean, like, the big obvious no-duh kind of answer is Joel's health. Like, obviously, if you're the Sixers and Joel isn't backed by, like, game two, 
you're not feeling great about things. Like, it, it would be hard to feel great about things, even if Joel was perfectly healthy. Like, the Celtics are the favorites in this series for a reason. And a part of the reason they're such big favorites right now is the fact that Joel is hurt. But even if he wasn't, they would be favorites. Um, so they were already fighting an uphill battle, given just the history between these two teams. And Joel being hurt just, you know, is makes it exponentially more challenging. He's currently listed as doubtful for game one. We saw him doing some shooting work in practice today. Uh, you know, the photographers were out and, and doing their job. And does not seem like he's very likely to play in game one. But you never know. And if he doesn't play in game one, then everyone's going to obviously turn their attention towards game two. If, if it takes until like game three or four in Philly for Jarrell to get back, I have a hard time imagining the Sixers' path to victory here. Um, so that's like the obvious one. Um, as far as the Celtics go, you could argue that it's the same thing. Like, how quickly does Joel get back for the Sixers? But um, beyond that, for, for Boston, it's really going to be, you know, keeping the guards in check. James and Tyrese are, are the primary offensive engines on this team without Joel. You have Marcus Smart and Derek White. You have Jason Tatum, who's defended hard and well in the past. They have a lot of bodies. They can switch all five positions with Rob Will and Al Horford. A little bit less so with Horford lately. He, he's been looking slower than than his prime on the defensive end, especially in that Atlanta series. But they have the bodies to really give James and Tyrese trouble. And if they can hold Tyrese to single digits, like y'all were just saying, Philly's in a lot of trouble. So I, I would say that's the X factor for Boston and for Philly. I mean, it's kind of hard not to say Joel's health at this point. So I'll go a different approach. Um I'll go with players that we know that are available. So for the Celtics, I, I think they're going to have Derek White is their third best player. And I think he's going to be the X factor for them. You know, defensively, we know what he brings. But offensively, if he gets going and gets to scoring around you know, between 15 and 20 points, the Sixers are in real trouble because Tatum's going to get his Brown's going to get his. You need to stop everybody else. you got to stop the other guys. So if you can't start, stop Derek White, which is going to be a task. Then the, then the Sixers are going to be in trouble, for sure. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, mine would probably be um, Brogdon and Tobias. But I'm going to keep Ooh. carrying the Tobias torch. But I think Brogdon can really do some damage off the bench as a six-man. So we'll have to see. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I did add something here to the end of this segment, just predictions. Let's go ahead and give our predictions real quick, guys. Chris? Um. Man, it, it's so tough not knowing when Joel's going to be back. Had the Sixers entered this series fully healthy and we saw what unfolded with with Boston in round one, I would say it's probably a seven-game series. Like, I, I think Philly's on that level. Um, with Joel doubtful and knowing the fact that Joel, when he does return, is probably not going to be at 100%. Knowing how the Celtics have defended him so well in the past and knowing that James shot 25% at the rim against Brooklyn and is now facing an even tougher defensive team with full knowledge of, like you guys just said, that Maxi has not fared particularly well in this matchup either. Like, the cards are really stacked against the Sixers right now. I mean, I, I might even go as far as to say, like, Celtics in five or six is probably the range we're in right now. Um, if Joel is back for game one, 
I might be more in the six to seven range, but without knowing, I'll say Celtics in six, just to be really generous towards the Sixers, but Philly is in a very tough spot right now. You know, Chris, usually I'm I'm the more optimistic one when it comes to these things, but I'm going to agree with you for all the reasons that you said here. If Joel was healthy, I think the Sixers would win the series in six or seven. But without Joel being healthy, especially his status being doubtful for game one, plus we don't know how long it's going to take for him to get back, I just I I can't see the Sixers winning this series unless – Paul Reed or Tyrese Maxey really surprises us. I just, it's, it's improbable. So I, I will say to be, I will join you in the Celtics and six right now, although this is fluid. I'm allowed to change this as information comes out. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be a pessimistic podcast, but um, before the series, I had sixers and seven, um, with the Joel news, I mean, again, if he's out the whole series, I, I hate like I hate being like this too, but I could see it in five, maybe six. Um, if he comes back, I still, you don't know what he's going to be. Honestly, I, I think it's going to be Celtics in seven, and I like to be positive like you, Lucas. So, I mean, pretty depressing. Hate that this happens every year, but we'll just have to wait and see how the games play out. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, well. Lucas, this one's for you. I know you're a Washington Commanders fan, so I thought we'd touch on this for a little bit. Josh Harris, who owns the Sixers and the New Jersey Devils, by the way, who are in the Stanley Cup playoffs, just purchased the Washington Commanders, or he will be. Um, little NFC East rivalry. Do you see any problem with that, Lucas? Is You mean, is it going to be a conflict of interest considering that his team is primary, you know, his primary sports team is in Philly? Now he's getting a uh, football team in Washington. I mean, look, at least it's not going to take him long to travel between the cities. So that that makes it a little bit easier. But overall, is this conflict of interest? I maybe some Philly fans might be a little upset with Josh. But overall, look, there's different sports. And while there might be a city rivalry here, I think in the grand scheme of things, Josh Harris is building a sports empire. Now, now all Harris is missing is an MLB team. Seriously, he just needs to buy an MLB team. Maybe he'll buy the Orioles. Who knows? But um, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't think this is a big conflict of interest. I think Harris has made it clear that he wants to be a sports owner, and that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, well, look, I'll put it this way. Does anyone in Philadelphia really like or care about Josh Harris? <laughs> Does any Philadelphia sports fan, do they like... Mm. Root for the fact that Josh Harris is owning the Sixers. Is it a conflict of interest? No, the Commanders are in a different sports league and they play a different sport. They have no base level impact on the Sixers. Now, if it like ends up impacting the amount of money he's willing to spend on Philly or whatever, that would be an issue. But I mean, there have been plenty of reasons to complain about Harris and management with the Sixers prior to this. I'm sure there will be plenty of instances to do so in the future. Like, I, I really don't think this is much of anything as far as the Sixers are concerned. Um, you know, I guess if, if Josh Harris, you know, he's he's very wealthy and now gets to own three sports franchises instead of two. So, you know, I'm sure he'll enjoy that quite a bit. But, um, yeah, as far as the Sixers go, I, I don't think anyone really liked Josh Harris that much already. And 
I, I don't think this is going to really drastically impact anyone's perception of him, to be honest. What do you think the commanders can expect to get from Josh Harris in terms of like being the new owner? Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lucas? Well, I will say this. It's going to be a breath of fresh air compared to what Snyder was. Look, Snyder you can argue has been uh, only next to um, what's the guy from the, the former owner of the Clippers. Um, what's his, what was his name? Uh, who was the former owner of the Clippers? Um, Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only behind Donald Sterling has there been a worse owner in major sports history in this, this uh, century. So I, I will say that the, Regardless of what Harris does, I think they're going to be happy. He is a bit stingy. We we've known this. Remember when Joel had to come out and like stop him from firing a good portion of the staff employees. Um, so we know that he, he might be a little stingy, but overall he does care about the success of the team. So he will invest to you know make su- successful moves. So that's that's good for the. Yeah, sure. You're, yeah, Dan Snyder was not a great owner, um, so I guess you know it's an improvement. Like I just said, the Sixers have not always been the most well-run organization in the past, and I mean, for most of Embiid's career, prior to Maury being hired, it was kind of a kind of a dumpster fire, and a lot of that you can point the fingers up towards ownership. They have been extremely stingy at various points. You're right that they have been willing to spend more kind of as Embiid has progressed, and the Sixers have been closer and closer to contention, but I, I don't know if anyone is like Josh Harris isn't, you know, grade A top-shelf sports owner, so it's not like Washington is, you know, in some super awesome great spot, maybe, but it's better than Dan Snyder, so... Yeah, again, I, 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 yeah, I think that's the key point. Like anyone but Dan Snyder is a win for them, honestly. But I think even though he's stingy, at least having some experience in the world, like gives a little base, but he's going to be judged against Snyder for the first like five to 10 years. So I think he'll be fine. Um, Lucas, Magic Johnson's a part of the ownership group. Any thoughts on that? I mean, like Josh Harris, Magic Johnson is trying to extend his ownership bids. He's a partial owner of the Dodgers already, so not too surprising that he wanted to get into football. Kind of weird that he came across country for that, but at the same time, football teams don't go for sale very often, so can't say that I blame him. It it is good. I think you know having Magic Johnson as a part of the ownership team is important, and you know that maybe Magic will help hold them accountable a little bit more. Who knows? Yeah, he really did that with the Lakers. Um. Yeah, I mean, look, as we know, Magic Johnson's talent for sports management is uh, not that great. But he also has a lot of money. He likes sports. Good for him. Uh, I I don't really know his resume in the football world. Uh, I don't think there is one. 
Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I have really zero thoughts or opinions on the fact that Magic Johnson is now partial owner of the Washington Commanders. <laughs> I'll be completely... I mean, maybe maybe, uh, maybe Harris can get uh, Magic to work with the Sixers a little bit on the DL. Who knows? Uh, I don't know if that'd be a good thing. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, Just a, not as a workout, not as, like, the front office or anything. Uh, yeah, you know... Uh, you know. All right. Well, let I'll get it back to basketball for you. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> so he and Knicks played today, game one. Jimmy Butler came to play again, and the Heat won 108-101. It was a very exciting game, honestly. Good watch. Um. What are you guys' reactions after game one? I mean, Chris, let's start with you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the primary hope is that Jimmy's ankle is okay. Um. There's obviously going to be some swelling. He rolled it pretty hard there in the fourth quarter. Uh, if you're the Knicks, you know, as, aside from that, it's probably not great to lose game one on your home court. Uh, we talked a lot about, on the last podcast at least, about how we were kind of torn over this series. The more I've thought about it, it's like Tom Thibodeau's postseason track record is not great. J.B. Bickerstaff just coached one of the worst series in recent memory, so that maybe made Tibbs look a little better than he is. Spolstra is quite literally like one of the best coaches of the last couple decades, so he'd have a very significant coaching advantage. They have arguably the two best players in the series. They were an eight seed for a reason, but the Knicks were the five seed for a reason. Miami was really the seven seed. They were not that far apart. I I think really at this point I'd pretty comfortably favor the Heat, assuming Jimmy is able to play moving forward. If Jimmy has to miss a game or two, that that changes things. And the Knicks are are still very competent and have a lot of depth pieces, and they're very well-rounded. I don't want to count New York out, but I with how Jimmy just played in the first round and with with what I just said, I, I think the Heat are probably favorites right now. That would be crazy that if the the Heat do win this series, that they'd be the the first eighth seed to get to the East Finals since what the uh, the Knicks with Ewing is that right, Jonathan? Am I remember that remembering that correctly? I mean, yeah, I can't remember an eighth seed getting there. I think Ewing and the Knicks were the last ones that did it. Um, that being said, um, look, this was a great game one. Obviously, Jimmy's ankle is going to be key for the the Heat, who are already down Tyler Hero. And uh, who's the other guy that they lost? They lost oh, Victor Oladipo. So they're already two injuries down. If if Jimmy can't go, that literally gets rid of all their off-ball, you know, off-the-dribble creation. Those guys were their three guys that can still do it. I mean, Kyle Lowry's not going to be able to do it for a full game. Um, so that being said... I look the the Knicks were also without um, Julius Randle in this game, so for you know Knicks fans worrying, I mean look if Randle can come back, this becomes that that might shift the tide because like it was a close game, the Knicks fought back. I, I think there is a chance for the Knicks still to. I, I I think right now with momentum the Heat are favored, but I I would not be surprised if the Knicks come out in this series, especially if. Julius Randle comes back because you're losing like a 25 per point per game score. It's going to make an impact on you. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to suggest like the Knicks are screwed or anything. They definitely have a chance to come back again. Miami, 
seven eight seed for a reason. They're not that good. Uh, to be completely like frank about it, and they are missing key players already on top of Jimmy, like you mentioned, Lucas. So the Heat are not some major roadblock uh, that that New York is going to have to overcome. They it's certainly doable. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I tend to favor Jimmy as long as he's healthy. I, I think that's probably the smart bet until at least the conference finals with how things have gone so far. But New York, again, is is a very competent and well-rounded team. So they can absolutely still win this series. Definitely. All right, well, let's swing it out west then. On Friday after we recorded, the Lakers stomped the uh, Grizzlies in game six, 125-85. Uh, and LeBron was not looking old, um, but Dylan Brooks got fined 25000 for ducking out on not talking to the media. I wouldn't want to talk to the media, though, after that. And then the Warriors today beat the Kings in a thriller of a game. Steph put up 50, the most points scored in a Game 7 in the NBA playoffs history. And now it lines up for LeBron-Steph round 5, which is going to be incredible TV. I'm sure the NBA loves it. What do you guys think is going to happen in this series? Lucas, we can start with you. Well, let me just go back to this, this you know, Warriors sack. I, I'll be honest, at halftime, I was like, oh, Sacramento's going to get this. They got this. And then Steph just destroyed them moving forward. And they played they played lockdown defense. And Kayvon Looney is definitely an unsung hero here. He had 20, uh, three 20-plus rebound games in a series, which I think only Wilt and, uh, oh, gosh, Thurman, I think was Thurman or the only other two guys that done it for the Warriors in franchise history. So uh, absolutely kudos to uh, Looney and kudos to Steph, you know, making NBA history there. Um, now going to the and Sacramento still has a really bright future. I, you know what this was, they probably pushed them harder uh, than they suspected. This is game seven. I don't think anybody suspected this would go seven game. Well, I mean, some people did, but I don't think the Warriors suspected this would go seven games. Um, that being said, Lakers, Warriors, like you said, LeBron v. Steph, not a uh, NBA Finals. I'll be honest, I, I, I think the Warriors are going to win this, and I don't think it's going to be nearly as close as the Sacramento series. I think the Warriors are starting to click. They're starting to find their groove. Andrew Wiggins is looking like he didn't just sit out two months. Uh, Raymond's looking great. Looney's looking great. Everybody's looking great. So, and like the Lakers look good too, but I just, I don't think they have enough. And I, I think LeBron's going to, I think Uh. if I had to make a prediction and I know Chris is not going to agree with me on this, I think this is either a five or six game series with the Warriors coming out on top. I, I think it's totally fair to pick the Warriors. I, I might even end up with you, but the the Lakers don't have enough, I think, is maybe a bit of a, you know, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a very... LeBron, LeBron is starting to look a bit old, though, dude. I mean, there was game six, uh, no, game five against the Grizzlies. That was ugly, dude. That was real ugly. And I yeah. get that he's 38 years old. And this is this should be almost expected that he's going to struggle a little bit now. So sure. the war and, you know, Clay had some very ugly first round games. Fair. Dre, all those guys, it, the Warriors are getting old, too. I think Steph is the best player in the series. Obviously, you only say it's been there and done that. They've like never lost in the West when everyone's healthy. I don't think it's wrong or, or 
incomprehensible to pick them in this series. They're the higher seed for a reason, again. But Lakers have looked very good since the trade deadline. They have a very strong supporting cast. Austin Reeves has been great. Ruby Hachimura was amazing in the first round. Like, they have some guys around LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's not just LeBron. Uh, you know, I, it's I, interesting. It's an interesting matchup. I don't think Looney is just going to manhandle Davis the way that he was able to manhandle Sabonis at different points. Obviously, LeBron is is a different player to guard than De'Aaron Fox. Like, there are some differences in the matchup. It'll, it'll be interesting. I, I think this series could go long. My gut is saying this is at least a six or seven game series. I I will probably say Warriors as well. I I think that's where my my head is at by now. Um, but I I think it will go pretty long, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout in either direction. I think these are pretty evenly matched teams. So very exciting. I know the league office is like just probably out of their minds happy that they got New York, Miami, LA, Golden State, and Philly, Boston in the first round. I know I saw, saw a tweet somewhere about that. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, Phoenix, Denver might not be the same market showdown that, that those three series are, but this has been a very favorable outcome for the league office from a financial standpoint. And yeah, I, I think this is going to be a good series. It's LeBron and Steph. Like, that's awesome. Um, that's all you it need. Can't get much that's, better than that. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan. Have, jo- hey, Jonathan. Did you did you notice who Chris didn't mention on the Lakers? And I noticed who he didn't mention as somebody that could help. He did not mention D'Angelo Russell, and I know Chris does not like D'Angelo well, Russell as a player. He didn't help in the first round. I don't know if it's going to get any easier moving forward. He was quite bad in the first round, actually. And he is I mean, historically a very poor playoff performer. So I mean, he, he helped them win game here. If you want to say Russell is about to light up Steph and Clay or whatever and defend them at a high level, that's on uh, you. We know he's not going to defend them. We know he's not going to defend okay, them. But maybe he, what are we talking but about? Maybe, but maybe he can do better offensively. I don't know, maybe. man. Look, he's never done it before, but maybe this I mean, he won them a game out. with the three straight threes in game in the first round. I forget which game it was, but like he... He well, he right. was he important. Can get hot. He he can have a couple big nights shooting every now and then. Um, he's definitely not better than the other guards in that backcourt right now, though. So we'll see. Um, wow. Okay. Okay. So you better. think Austin that can actually guard Steph maybe a little bit, kind of at least pretend to. We'll see. I don't know. Wow. Okay. I don't know. Is Austin Reeves not just clearly better than D'Angelo Russell? Like, you were talking about, like, the three guys. Like, he I mean, D'Lo's a better playmaker. Um, is, is he? Yeah. Are we sure about yeah, that? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are, are we sure? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they, he's they not... They want like, dribbling the air on the ball with LeBron with out there? Reeves has had plenty of big assist games down the stretch here. I don't, I don't, I don't like, know, man. Are you sure that D'Lo is a great, unheralded playmaker? Like... I mean, he's at he averages like six to seven assists for his career around that. So I mean, he he obviously can play make at a pretty high level. Yes, and so like Reeves, who has been stuck in a backup role his whole career until recently, because he's young, right. and a second round pick. Who's better? Who, okay, let me let me ask you this: Who's better, Dennis Dennis Schroeder or D'Angelo Russell? I, I would I think Russell's probably better, but. Schroeder was much more reliable in the first round and maybe is now. Again, defensively, Russell was just a huge issue. Like, you can't. Yeah, we know he's bad defensively. That's half the game. And it's much more important in the playoffs. So, 
whatever you think offensively, the fact that he's the worst defender out of that group is is a pretty big issue. Jonathan, make a no no part of this whenever he brings up, you know, MVP stuff and, you know, Jokic and defense and all that stuff. Jokic is a much better defender than D'Angelo. <laughs> Let's Noted. not even go there. Noted. Uh, all right. Thank you. Anyway, let's speaking of Jokic, let's go to the next one, right, Jonathan? Yeah, fi- yeah final series. Yeah, Jokic's uh, defense was a huge issue in game one, guys. Well, final Just series really coming up. stood out to me that they, they really – it was such a huge issue. I mean, Denver screwed. All right. The Nuggets beat the Suns 125-107. Honestly, it, it was the second quarter. It was a 37-19 second quarter, and that was the exact difference. Uh, Jamal Murray lit up 34 points, looked really healthy, really good. And, yeah, they beat down the Suns. I mean, anything to worry about? What are your thoughts on this series, Lucas? I mean, it was kind of weird that they decided that they were going to go back to Josh Kogi after starting uh, Torrey Craig in the first round. I thought they should have just, you know, you got to choose who the fifth starter is and just stick with them. Torrey Craig gives you a little bit more size, too. So I thought that was a, that would have been a smart move. I mean, look, the the problem is, like you said, the, the second quarter, like the Suns uh, played them pretty evenly outside of that. The the main issue that I see moving forward is that, you know, outside of like, you know, Aiden's going to be OK. I'm not really worried about Aiden versus Jokic, but like I, I am worried about the rest of the starting five because Kevin Durant's tall, but he's thin. And mm-hmm. then the rest of the starting five, like, you know, whether it's a Kogi who's like six, five, six, four or Tori Craig, who's like six, 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 seven. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they're pretty undersized to, compared to this other, you know, Aaron Gordon's big, Michael Porton Jr.'s big, and they have some big guys coming off the bench too, and like Jeff Green and Chris uh, Christian Braun, Brown, or however you say his name. It looks like it said Braun, but, you know, they say Brown in, on TV. And, you know, uh, Bruce Brown looked fantastic in this game. Kudos to Bruce Brown. But, like, yeah, I think the Nuggets, you know, this is the difference. They're deeper, and they played together all season versus the Suns, who are not deep, and they de- they have not played all together. Like, this is the first game that Cameron Payne was back in for the Suns. He only played five minutes. So, they clearly, and Cameron Payne's supposed to be the spark plug off the bench. And Terrence Ross is supposed to be a scorer off the bench, and he wasn't. He was a non-factor. So this, the Suns have some things to figure out. It's look, I, I, I picked the Suns going into the series, but now I don't feel so confident in that pick. Wow, it's just like Denver's first round series. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, look, I mean, that was a good one. You guys aren't even reacting. I feel bad. Okay, twenty three three point attempts, seven makes for Phoenix. 37 three-point attempts, 16 makes for Denver. That's really the story. Like, the Suns have to take threes. Um, They can make as many mid-range jumpers as they want. They're the best team in the league at that. They have two of the best mid-range shooters. Three, really, with Chris Paul that you're ever going to find. It doesn't matter if they're not shooting threes. They're just going to get run out of the gym every time. Um, This was, like, not a very good Jokic game by his standards. Uh, And they still won by 18 points. Obviously, Jamal Murray was amazing. He has been amazing in postseasons past. Uh, He's healthy now. Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon were very good in their minutes. Bruce Brown had an awesome game off the bench. Like, 
I obviously Denver fans have to be feeling pretty good right now. Um, I, I would still venture to say this is probably a six or seven game series. I don't think the Suns are going to go away quietly or anything like that. Durant was amazing in this game, had some huge plays on the defensive end at least. Seven turnovers were obviously not what you want, but overall, very good Durant game. Devin Booker has looked as good as anyone this postseason. Uh, but yeah, they, they just. Their shot profile is not what it needed to be. Obviously, Aiton, you're more confident in him than me, I guess, at this point. Lucas, like, he's had a very I mean, tough season, and he has struggled against the high-profile centers pretty consistently throughout his career. Like, every time we get to Embiid, every time we get to Giannis, it's like, all right, can Aiton actually handle these guys? Jokic is no different. Jokic is a very smart, crafty, and very strong player. Like, he's... I mean, Aiden he had 24, but... but Aiton was, like, okay. just not going up for rebounds. Like, dude has to play harder, so... Yeah, yeah, no, no, the de- uh-huh. the rebounds is the issue, but defensively, like, Jokic shot 9 of 21. Like, that's not good on... And got 24 points, and he only had 5 assists. So, like, defense... The initial defense that Aiden played was solid. Sure. It's just, like you said, the that- offensive rebounds were the biggest issue here for Aiden, and I'm sure he'll probably turn that around in game two yeah i mean i i do think like collectively the defense was solid also Jokic is just not going to shoot that poorly again like Suns do have to worry about the fact that Jokic is going to have much better games moving forward um maybe murray doesn't have quite as explosive nights to balance that out but you know i i saw someone i it's upsetting me that i can't place the name because i want to give them credit but they were kind of they they compared Jokic and Murray to Draymond and Steph in the sense that when Steph heats up, Draymond is really great at like making sure that he's seeking out Steph and really trying to create for Steph. And they kind of have a similar relationship in Denver where when Murray's rolling like this, Jokic does a really good job of seeking him out and making sure that he's getting set up in his spots. So that's a very potent offensive duo. Denver is a very deep and talented team. Like Kevin Durant said after the game, they are the number one seed for a reason. And we all got a little bit worried there for the last month or so when Denver was 10 games ahead of everyone and had the one seed locked up and they didn't really try. But now that everyone's trying, they look pretty darn intimidating. So I, I still think this game goes like seven. I, I think Phoenix... Obviously, just talent-wise, it's impossible to count them out. But Denver is very much legit, and they're going to give the Suns a real run for the money here. I think it'll be a really good series. Uh, I think, yeah, that's fair. I agree. Coming down to it, eight teams left. Yeah, so uh, I guess what? All our predictions are, are what, Celtics heat, and then... I don't know who I um No, I'm still I'm still going the Knicks. I, I'm still going Knicks here. Okay. That's fair. Um yeah, Warriors versus Suns would be fun for the obvious like Kevin Durant storyline. I think Warriors Nuggets is a very interesting matchup, maybe a more interesting matchup, but I mean um, it'd be the repeat rematch of last series uh, last season's uh first round series, so yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, a lot of fun series set up here, and also uh, Sixer Celtics. So uh, <laughs> that series is just not going to be fun for me. I, I can't imagine it being fun. I'm just going to be stressed out of my mind. If Joel's not healthy, especially, I'm, it's just I, I'm about to have a very rough couple of weeks, I fear. But um, 
Beyond the Sixers Celtics side of things, this is shaping up to very, very fun postseason. Um, so yeah, this is a good pod, guys. This is good stuff. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. All right. Um, to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Audible. Or you can listen at our website, thesixersense.com, where you can also read our written work. And you can also find us on social media, at Facebook, at Twitter, at Sixersense. So until next time, go Sixers. We'll have some some more postseason basketball to talk about next time involving the Sixers directly. We'll uh, we'll get to complain about James Harden's finishing around the rim some more, maybe uh, despair over Joel's knee, and, and talk about how much we hate uh, Jason Tatum. So until then, uh, thanks, everyone. I don't actually hate Jason Tatum. Seems like a good dude. And he's a very good player. But, um, yeah, until then, go Sixers. Uh, Blue Celtics. And we'll talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.